Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week's show is a little bit different. I blast back 55 years to join the Journey Show, Season 2, Episode 1. We talk about the world of comics. You hear me join an amazing group of experts to talk about international comics circa 1966. Whether you want to make mine Marvel or you're a detective comics fan, or if you want to learn about the great comics out of the UK and Europe, including Behind the Iron Curtain, this is a don't miss show. Plus a surprise musical guest. Sit back, enjoy. It all starts right after this ad. Ho travelers, and welcome to the second season of The Journey Show. We have a wonderful comics-filled edition for you today. Last year, we didn't cover comics at all, but we've covered them a lot at The Journey from everywhere around the world, from DC to Marvel to the UK to Benelux to Germany, West and East. So hold on to your seats because there's going to be an amazing round-the-world tour of comics with our esteemed panel, Jason Sachs, Chris Viasmial, and Cora Bullard. But first, our musical interlude, Lorelai, start us out with the show. All right, I've got a fun one here today. This is an old one, but I brought it back because one of Shindig's last episodes was an Elvis Presley tribute, and Shindig was just replaced, if you don't know, by Batman. So it seemed appropriate to send it off with an Elvis Presley tribute. Wise men say only fools Russian, but I can't help falling in love with you. Shall I stay? Would it be a sin? I can help falling in love with you Like a river flows surely to the sea Darling, so it goes Some things were meant to be Take Take my hand 
take my whole life too for I can help falling in love with you no I can't help falling in Thank you. Amazing. I remember when Lorelai performed that, this is pretty much the start of her music career. She performed it at her uncle, my brother's wedding. Um, and uh, we knew she was ready to be catapulted to superstardom. And as you can see, here she is. So we're going to be talking about comics today, but a lot has happened in the last two months since our last Journey show. So first, this news. In the Vatican, the Second Ecumenical Council has come to an end after four revolutionary years. Just two of the major policy changes include allowing the conduct of mass in local vernacular and withdrawing the assertion of Jewish culpability in Christ's crucifixion. In Vietnam, the holiday is over. A major peace offensive launched late December came to a close with the resumption of bombing over North Vietnam at the end of last month. Nearly 10,000 new troops have arrived and are participating in two operations to clear northern South Vietnam of Viet Cong presence. A B-52 nuclear bomber crashed near the Spanish village of Palomares, scattering four atomic bombs. As of today, only three have been recovered. The Spanish government have demanded an end to American military overflight of their country. Regime change has roiled three continents. In Africa, coups in Upper Volta, the Central African Republic, and Nigeria have installed new governments. In Indonesia, the increasingly embattled dictator Sukarno faces what may be insurmountable opposition from the military and other anti-communist forces in his nation. A peaceful transition of power followed the greatest brokering of peace in a generation of conflict, the night after Indian Prime Minister Shastri and President Ayub of Pakistan buried the hatchet in their fight over Kashmir, the Indian leader succumbed to a heart attack. His replacement came as a surprise. Indira Gandhi, daughter of former Prime Minister Nehru, has been elevated to the post and thus a woman has assumed leadership of the largest democracy in the world. In New York City last month, new mayor John Lindsay faced his first crisis as transit workers union members led by Mike Quill walked out, causing the mighty city to shudder to a halt. Subway queues reached massive proportions and commuters resorted to alternate methods of transportation until the conflict was resolved in favor of the strikers. The victory turned out to be the swan song for Quill, the labor leader passing away on January 28th at the age of 60. In space news, December was dominated by the flight of Gemini 7, during which astronauts Jim Lovell and Frank Borman spent two weeks in their capsule. More than a week into the flight, they were joined by astronauts Wally Schirra and Tom Stafford, who in their Gemini 6 made the first active rendezvous of two spacecraft in history. The next Gemini mission is scheduled for next month. Live from the surface of the moon comes the broadcast of Luna 9, 
The fifth Soviet soft landing attempt returned the first images from another celestial body and have proven that the lunar surface can be landed upon safely. The first American Surveyor soft lander probe will be launched on a similar mission in May. And that's the news. I'm going to introduce our panel now. So first we have Jason Sachs. Tell the gang who you are. Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. I uh, live in the Seattle area. I'm a writer for some of the popular comics fanzines in America. He's being modest. He has literally written the book on comics in several cases. Uh, and then we have Chris Vias Mill, our UK correspondent who has just achieved parenthood. Congratulations. Tell us about your involvement in comics. Ah, thank you very much. Yes. Um, so, yes, I'm based in the UK and I. I read a lot of comics. I've been reading them in the UK since they uh, since the 40s. So I think I become an expert purely by maths rather than any academic study. Diffusion is an acceptable method of absorbing comics. And then, of course, we have the inimitable Cora Bullard. Everyone probably knows who you are, but tell us again anyway. Yes. Well, I'm Cora Bullard. I'm from um, Bremen in West Germany. And um, I'm the West German or, well, all of German correspondent, since we don't have one from East Germany, at the Journey Show. And um, I'm also a comic fan and comic reader. And um, I'll be talking about um, continental European comics today, which is, well, the West and East German ones, as well as the comics from Belgium, France, and the Netherlands, so, which have a great comic culture. And by the way, if you have missed, uh, la we are not talking about Japanese comics, although they are a, a vibrant force in the medium. Um, but if you look at our rerun schedule for the kinescopes of last season's shows, you will see that in October, I had a lovely show with Erica Friedman, and we discuss not only Japanese cartoons, but we spend a little time on comic books as well. Uh, and we are looking forward to Erica providing her first article for the journey in a month or two, and she'll be talking about the state of comics in Japan. But in fact, at the journey, if you've been following closely, you will see that we have done a lot of comics related uh, articles in the recent past. And so we'll be discussing uh, some of them and uh, also answering your questions. So any questions you might have, um, be racking them up. And in a few minutes, our lovely moderator behind the scenes, Janice, will be soliciting you for questions. So first off, let's talk about what's come out this month for, I think, most, well, actually, I won't make the assumption that most of our, uh, our audience is American, because I, I don't think that's actually true anymore. We're pretty much international, thanks to uh, the early bird satellite. Um, but that said, I want to start on American comics, because that's what I've been digging into lately. Uh, the cover date for comics right now is April 1966. And uh, Jason, you have been a national comics fan for a long time, and we're friends anyway. Uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us what's new in national comics? And national comics is having I want to back up by a, for a moment to say uh, 1965 and early 1966 has been a banner year for comics in the United States of America. Uh, we are all aware of the runaway success of the Batman TV show, which just premiered last month, which has brought a lot of interest around my friends in comics, comic-related material, and uh, just the art of reading and enjoying the superheroes. Uh, along with that, there's been just a tremendous growth in the in the 
diversity and amount of great comics that have been coming out in America. Uh, I'll talk about DC in a moment, or national in a moment. Uh, Marvel has been producing some great work. Uh, the current uh, three-part storyline, which were just through the first two parts, which star this new villain Galactus in Fantastic Four, are some of the greatest comics I've read, which come on the heels of the introduction of this new team of heroes slash villains called the Inhumans. There's Galactus, yes, um, in his rather interesting outfit. Uh, I'm not sure why artist Jack Kirby has him in shorts and open arms with a G on his chest, but you know, maybe that's just the way we perceive this godlike being. I'm not totally sure. Uh, uh, he has a G on his chest because his mom doesn't want him to lose his clothes when he's away at camp. <laughs> uh, the same Jack Kirby who does that great comic also is doing amazing work on Thor right now. Um, if you caught this month's issue that just came out last week, you saw The Horror and the Holocaust, which was just a dramatic culmination of a great Asgard saga. As well, uh, Steve Ditko is drawing, is continuing to draw the amazing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. He's also doing work for Charlton Comics on Captain Adam, which may be under your radar. Uh, and beautiful work he's doing there. Charlton is producing their own line of heroes, including Son of Vulcan and Judo Master, which are also very fun. Um, even Sleepy American Comic Book, the American Comics Group, rather, is uh, producing a hero named Nemesis, and probably the strangest superhero you will ever read, Herbie the Fat Fury, who's this rather corpulent young man uh, who goes, who has a series of rather surreal adventures in which he puts on a cape and shorts. I wonder if Galactus maybe got his fashion hints from Herbie, and bops people on the head with lollipops. Okay. Uh, in terms of DC Comics, uh, a lot of their comics are continuing to be as interesting as ever. Uh, Metamorpho, which is kind of the semi-humorous adventures of the superhero who's also uh, involved in some larger kind of uh, corporate espionage sorts of things, yeah, continues to be absolutely delightful. Um, the Flash, with a wonderful work by Carmen Infantino on art, is a delight. Um, Green Lantern just last year revealed the origins of the Guardians of the Universe. And one thing that may have gone under most people's radar is both the adventures of Jerry Lewis and the adventures of Bob Hope have brought in some wonderful horror elements to them, of all things. Uh, so what we're seeing right now is, a, and I should say one more, one more company I want to call out is Warren Magazines, which are full-size magazines producing black and white comics. Uh, they have been doing uh, a line of horror comics for a few months, creepy and eerie. And they've just introduced a new comic called Blazing Combat, which is war stories. All three of those comics are amazing, delightful work by some of the greatest cartoonists around, including Steve Ditko, as well as a lot of the artists who worked on the classic EC comics of the era. So uh, there's a lot of great American comics, and I bet there's a lot of great work coming out in uh, other countries in the world as well. Yep. And we're definitely going to be talking about them. Uh, I, I want to say that I pulled it. It is interesting to note that the current era of comics in America, and I'd love to see how its counterparts are in Europe and, and so forth. The current era of comics is only five years old. Fantastic Four came out five years ago, uh, made a huge splash. And you can see 
just in five years, how much the art has evolved. And I mean that literally and, and, and more figuratively. Jack Kirby, when he starts out drawing Fantastic Four, it's, it's kind of crude. Um, and by the time, and I had a chance to read my entire run of the X-Men. I think we're up to issue 16 now. And Iceman, when he starts out, is just a big white turd. And, uh, and now he has definition and shape and looks a bit like the Silver Surfer, actually. Um, but the stories are also getting more sophisticated and less kidified. The lettering is getting more sophisticated. One of the things I prefer in Marvel over DC, this may be a small thing, but Sam Rosen and Artie Simek, I feel, do a much better job of penciling than the sort of indistinct DC lettering. And lettering makes a, a big deal into the, into the professionalism of a magazine. Um, we were talking about Batman, and I want to bring that up real quick. Um, one second. Should be on. It is on delay. We were talking about Batman, which people in Europe have not gotten to see yet. So, for people who have not seen this yet, this is what we get treated to twice a week in America. I just, <laughs> I just want to remind my people out there uh, in, in the studio land, please shut off your mic when uh, other things are going on, because uh, otherwise we get into echo land. Um, so, yeah, that's Batman. And um, it's a show in which things happen and actors appear. Uh, and uh, since it is targeted a younger audience, I'm actually going to let Lorelai Tell us what she thinks of this new show. Well, uh, obviously, I was a little bit inspired there with the with the costuming. Actually, um, I'd say the first impression I got from Batman was unimpressed, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm getting it, it's sort of growing on me. Like you know how like like a fungus would grow on someone, but like like a fungus that you like in a weird sort of symbiotic way. Um, <laughs> In terms of the costumes, I have to say, um, Burt Ward uh, can pull off the uh, the tights and the spandex. Adam West cannot. And, and I'd say the best part of the show is definitely seeing it in new color TV um, and how they really put all the effort into the sets and the costumes and, like, not the spandex, but the costumes, which are actually the villain's suits. There's been several pink suits that I just absolutely adore. Um, but overall, as a show, in terms, if you're watching, like, for actually for the plot uh, or the acting uh, <laughs> or anything that you might think you would watch a show for, uh, I don't know that it's the show for you. <laughs> 
It is better than Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, however. That is not a very high bar, but yes, it, it does it does step over that bar. Well, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea beats a lot of other shows, including Gilligan's Island and many other primetime shows. So, uh, Jason, have you seen the new Batman? I have, and I have to admit, I just love it for the color and the goofiness of it. I also love that Batman and Robin get trapped in a death trap at the end of the first part of each episode and then have to escape it in some ridiculous way in the second half. And it's just so delightful to see what these crazy villains have created for them and what how they escape from those traps. Because it's just always so absurd and over the top. Uh, maybe something they have in their utility belt or maybe just that just like Robin thinks of a rhyme that makes sense for them to escape the trap. Um, I also really love the people who play the villains. Uh, the Joker, for example, is just a delight. This makes me laugh every time I see that face. And the and the painted over mustache, of course. And the painted over mustache. Yeah. He's a Romero. I think Burgess Meredith has stolen the show so far with his Absolutely. All right. Well, I don't want this show to be too American-centric, so let's now go across the pond to Jolly England. Chris, tell us about comics in England. Okay. It'll be interesting to see that Batman show, because I do know the BBC have brought it up already, and it will be airing soon, so we'll be, have to see. I think it'll be interesting to see if, um, if that enlightens any inspiration for British superhero comics, because those have kind of died off. There were a few back in the 50s, at the same time as American imports were coming in, so there was things like uh, Marvel Man, who was just a continuation of Captain Marvel once they weren't able to get any more imports of that, and there was one called like Captain Comet for a while, but now there's sort of there's bare, there's maybe one in the back issue that's a traditional superhero, Traditionally, sort of the main comics that we have, uh, they are very much big anthologized ones. But also, what you do is you have a couple of pages of story for each for each uh, different strip, but they will be anthologized over a very long period of time. So sometimes you'll have a one storyline will last an entire year, for example, before you get to the end of it. The biggest sellers tend to be humor comics, tend to be the big sellers. So. These are the Beano and the Dandy still sell around a million copies these a week. So they're and they're probably about 40% of the market probably of these two human comics. The ones that tend to be more science fiction and the one we like are what sort of tend to be boys adventure comics. Uh, the biggest of those being the Eagle, which has uh, Dan Dare, who's kind of he's kind of like a very stodgy version of Flash Gordon. So he sort of he's still sort of like very much. Uh, uh, he's sort of like wearing sort of an old-fashioned general's uniform and sort of a very stiff upper lip as he goes and fights alien invaders across the universe. Um, uh, though I say that the sort of like it's become very old-fashioned recently and it's sort of died down a bit. It's because the original creators have the original creators of the strips have kind of left now, and so it's kind of sort of become a bit factory outputs. And the eagle isn't sort of what it what it was. I'd say some of the highlights that are recently, um, one's I'd say has been the launch of a new comic that's just come out recently called the called Ranger, which has which is it's more expensive than most comics, so I do wonder how long it will continue. But it's very high quality produced. Most of the artwork is sort of like really well inked and painted with watercolor, so it's really artistically done. 
and they do sort of really some really complicated strips. Like one that's just uh, finished the first part of it called The Rise and Fall of the Trigon Empire is trying to map an, an interplanetary conflict over thousands of years. Uh, it's literally following the rise of the empire over over time, and it's really well produced, amazing, amazing art, and really look forward to seeing where it's going to go in the second book. Uh, one other one is probably surprising is uh, TV Century Twenty One, which is to tie into all of Jerry Anderson's TV shows. And what it does is it has it has strips from from all his different shows. But what he's done, what they've done, is they've set them all within the same universe. So they will all sort of cross over with each other. So you'll have someone from the Fireball XL5 say, okay, we need to go underwater, and they'll contact Stingray, and they will continue on the story from there. And the breakout character for it has probably been Lady Penelope, who recently started appearing in Thunderbirds comics. She's been since we're off, they've even, she even now has her own spin-off comic book. So she's left that, and they've now got their own one. Unfortunately, that one's not quite as good because a lot of it is reprints from American comics. So it's got stuff like the Witch comic, a Monsters comic, a man from Uncle Comic. So it's got some sort of strange things to fill up the gaps, but hopefully that will increase soon. Um, but yes, they, so I had a question. Sure. Um, superhero comics, are they popular in the UK, but they just rely on American imports? Or are superhero comics just not interesting to the UK audience? Um, they've... I think they're sort of like... It's a bit of both. So they've... not The ones that were in the UK, people just weren't interested in them as much. Uh, the American comics, they didn't tend to get bored as much. They just started to get some more DC has started to come over. We tend to get sort of like, there tends to be a few months delay before they're brought in, but you will start to see there's quite a lot of Supermans, Batmans, and Wonder Womans will come through. And they sort of like, they aren't anywhere near as big a sellers as the, as the homegrown comics, but there is definitely an audience for them that loves to collect them. Personally, I'm not as keen on some of the American comics that I've managed to get through for superheroes myself, but that may be that it's just that we're only getting the big titles. And, for example, the Marvel ones you talk about, there's just impossible to get. There is one reprint magazine called Creepy Worlds that does do American imports and will do these Marvel ones, but they won't do them in any sequence, and you'll just get completely random ones. So one issue, you will get a Vanessa 4 comic. The next issue, you'll get an Ant-Man. The next issue, it will be uh, Captain Atom from 1955. And so there's no way to actually follow the storyline through. It sounds like the UK equivalent of a Sell Goldsmith science fiction magazine. <laughs> That's, that is a fair comparison, actually. With the, with the same decline in, uh, I, I guess, post-Sell Goldsmith uh, yeah. magazines. Because yeah. when she was when she was at the helm, we didn't have that problem. We had new stuff. Now we don't have new stuff in Amazing or Fantastic, and it's really a shame. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those UK comics look fascinating. Um, there's a new show in England which we have. So I have seen. So I have a friend in the UK who sends me 16 millimeter copies of shows from England. So I happen to know that there's a new Jerry Anderson show out there. Mm -hmm. Probably most Americans don't know that there's a show called The Thunderbirds. Have you, yes. have you been watching it? What do you think of it? Um, when it's good, it's very good. When it's not good, it's not. The When it's really good, I feel like it's a bit like um, Arthur C. Clarke's Fall of Moondust. That it's, sort of, it's just sort of like very well done sort of like people that they aren't interested in shooting and anything. It's just like, okay, here's a disaster. Let's do some science stuff and sort it out. In the bad episodes, they will have either they'll sort of have comedy plots with kids, 
They will have Lady Penelope running around screaming from mice. They have this weird Boo Manchu-style villain called the Hood who just turns up for some reason just wanting to steal their technology. But he also apparently has his own te- his own massive technology and can hypnotize people, so I'm not sure why he wants to do that or why he lives in some temple in Thailand. So there are definitely good bits and bad bits, and it has just started the Century Century One has just started the comic book series as well. So that's now officially part of the Century Twenty One comics universe. I uh, what I have seen of the Thunderbirds is they'll just have these lavish twenty minute model scenes that look absolutely wonderful with this bombastic music playing, and it's it's the dullest thing in the universe. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and be the one person who says the best uh, Jerry Anderson show is still Supercar, but that maybe that's just me. Um, by the way, uh, we're being asked something about saving the Doctor Who tapes. It's my understanding that Doctor Who is filmed on videotape, as were six episodes of the second season of Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and and there are people who are already apparently are big fans of the show for some this this kid show that for some reason uh, want to preserve the tapes. And I just have to say to those people, videotape is expensive. And if you want the show to continue being made, you have to understand that one of the ways you cut costs is you record over tapes. But the fact is, no one is going to be interested in the show in a few years, especially since Billy Hartnell is probably going to quit in a year or two, and then they'll have to cancel the show because who else can be the doctor? Um, so I'm, I'm sorry to Doctor Who fans out there, but there's absolutely no way they're going to save videotapes for the next, say, 55 years. Um, leaving on that, uh, let's talk to Cora Bullard. You've got a lot of ground to cover, quite literally, so take it away. Um, well, let's start with um, with West Germany, my home country. Um, well, superheroes aren't a big deal in West Germany. Um, you can get the we can get the superhero comics from the U.S. if you have a friend who is an American soldier, because. Um, because we've got a lot of American military bases around, and that's how you can get comics if you know someone. One, but um, they're not translated; they're not very popular. What is hugely popular in West Germany are the Disney comics, particularly the Donald Duck comics by Karl Barks. And why are they so popular? Well, because the German translator, which is a lady called Erika Fuchs, she's absolutely brilliant, and she. Um, and well, she's made these very simple animal comics, funny animal comics. Um, I mean, I've seen the originals. The drawings are good, but um, but they're not. The texts are really not very interesting to adults. And she introduces all sorts of literary illusions and wordplay, and that's why it's so hugely, hugely popular. And um, because the American Disney comics were so popular. Uh, some enterprising West German publishers also decided to try something along those lines, and um, one of those was a gentleman called called um, Ralf Kauka, and Rolf Kauka um, also created, after a few false starts, his own funny animal comic, which is called Fix and Foxy, and that's the adventures of two little red foxes, and. Uh, and they are animal friends. They have got friends who are wolves and um, and um, uh, hare and uh, everything. And well, um, they're a bit tame. They're a bit tamer than the Disney comics and um, and aimed at a young audience. So they're really um, my little na- the little neighbor kids love them. 
I think, well, it's nicely made, but um, I'm just not the target audience for those. So, so one other funny animal comic I actually love a lot, even though it's uh, so I'm also not really the target audience, is called Mackie. Mackie is a serial comic um, about a hedgehog, a cock which runs in the uh, TV listings magazine Hurtsu. And uh, Mackie has actually been running since the late 40s and dates back to the pre-war era, where he first appeared in a series of puppet films. And um, the Mackie comics um, are absolutely beautifully drawn by um, William Peterson. Yes, oh, that's a that's the old, yes, that's Mackie, the animal. Here you have William Peterson. And, um, oh, what's the other? And uh, there's another. There are also are full color Mackie picture books, which are absolutely beautiful. Well, I think they've made like uh, 10 or 12 of those now. Yes, and of course, they're Mackie toys. Those are my Mackie dolls, uh, dolls uh, which um, I can bring over because they're in the same room. And yes, okay, Mackie is uh, absolutely the the art is absolutely beautiful cool. and the stories um, are also funny mackie also does science fiction because he's been to the moon and he also does fantasy because he's visited all sorts of fantasy lands like um, schlaraffenland which is uh, the german equivalent of i think cocaine is uh, the english name and yes okay um, actually, a lot of German comics are still published in magazines and, uh, and newspapers. So we also have a head since, since he's, um, since the strip stopped a few years ago, Nick Knatterton, which was a brilliant detective. And uh, Manfred Schmidt, the cartoonist, uh, was, in, was actually from my hometown. Hometown and, well, Nick Knatterton is basically um, a kind of Sherlock Holmes type character. Character, the brilliant detective, and um, the good thing about the comic is that it's uh, very funny and very satirical about West German politics. And yes, uh, they also, um, well, the tabloid Bild also has a comic strip called Bild Lily about, or used to have, it's also been stopped, stopped about a sexy young woman looking for husbands and wealthy boyfriends. It's not very interesting, except that they made a built lily doll, which an American tourist named Ruth Handler, um, she, she saw one and bought it in Germany and uh, thought this is a great idea to have this fashion doll. So she, uh, so she um, recreated her own version because her husband and she owned a toy company and that doll is known to everybody as Barbie. So yes, Barbie actually comes from Germany and used to be called Lily. And she's a comic strip character. Okay, another thing we have, uh, we do have a lot of adventure comics. Um, this is actually the article I did for the journey. I'll just um, throw the link in the chat afterwards. We have a bunch of adventure comics about uh, mostly historical settings like knights, for example. Knights are really popular. We have Sigurd and Falk, who are heroic knights having adventures in the mi Middle Ages. There's Jörg, a young man who's having adventures in the 30 years war, which is still a big deal in Germany. Um, there's also Tibor, who is a kind of Tarzan type jungle hero because, um, and there's also another Tarzan type. There's a couple of Tarzan characters. And um, Nick is a space comic, actually. There's also another one, Titanus. Titanus and um, they're a bit boring Flesh Gordon, I'd say. They're not. And the interesting thing about those adventure comics is the format. 
because I sold in this, I uh, wish I had one here now, but I didn't get to the newsstand because it's snowing outside. Outside, they have this really small, small, they're about this, uh, this big, and it's just, uh, just basically two panels, it's just basically uh, one or two panels, panels, and uh, eventually they are reprinted in a larger format. And they're very, very cheap, only, um, I think it's only uh, like, um, like 10 cents or something like that, or 10 pfennig. So, yes. I have a question for the, the non-American panelists. In America, science fiction in the comics definitely has remained in somewhat in the pulp era in terms of its sophistication, perhaps because it's aimed at children or perhaps because the people writing the stories are not part of the crowd of advanced science fiction authors. Do we find the same thing in the in the UK and in Europe where science fiction is still pretty much in the Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon 30s zone? Um, for the UK, I'd say mostly the case. There are a few exceptions. Um, the, like I said, the previously mentioned the rise and the fall of the Trigon Empire is definitely starting to move beyond that. I wouldn't say it's like past the, it isn't sort of like modern estates, more like maybe just like just moving into sort of the astounding era. Um, and you do have, uh, and you do have some others. I'd actually say, Doctor Who, I was thinking about the uh, Daleks comics that appear in Century, TV Century 21. Uh, they are sort of like, they're really interesting because they're sort of space battles, but rather than having the Doctor fight them or anything, you're following the perspective of the Daleks. So you're kind of getting this sort of like very weird, dark stories where you're just, you're, you're, quite, you're not sure whether you're supposed to be cheering them or not, because you're just watching them just like roll over planets and commit genocide and blow up planets the whole time. And it's, and like, it's, it's both fun to watch the Daleks and also very uncomfortable reading as well. And very different from the uh, Doctor Who comic strip, which has moved way back into sort of like Enid Blyton era. So the storyline they just recently finished, they visit the North Pole and have to help save Santa from an evil shape-changing elf, which is very different from what we have in the main TV series. Cora, how about from your perspective, the European perspective? Um, well, um, in Germany, so we only have about two um, proper science fiction comics, and they're very much, uh, well, badly done, Buck Rogers and uh, Flash Gordon stuff. Stuff, they're not very good. East Germany, well, they have, um, they have a comic about, um, they have only, East Germany doesn't have a lot of comics, they only basically have one comic magazine called Mosaic, which is really popular. And um, the characters in Mosaic, um, they have three kobolds called Big Duck and Big Duck. And um, and they traveled through time and space, and yes, yeah, they've they've gone on and they've gone on an epic space adventure where they defend uh, the space socialist <laughs> utopia against a capitalist hell escape called the Groß Neonian Reich, which is uh, kind of funny, but those are actually quite different, of course, because um, they have different influences. Um, Belgium, France, and the Netherlands do have a few science fiction strips, but again, their um, history is more popular. We've got a lot of historical and Western characters, and aviation heroes are really, really popular, which is weird because um, it's sort of like uh, like the pubs were like 30 years ago in the US. But um, you do have a few um, 
science fiction strips. There's Barbarella from France, who is very, very interesting. Interesting, she's quite lovely drawn, and she looks like Brigitte Bardot, and well, she loses her clothes a lot, and she engages in a lot of first contact with uh, with alien life forms, very intimate first contact. So yeah, that's not something I can imagine seeing anytime soon in the U.S. mag in the U.S. magazines. So yep. Um, uh, but when you say very intimate first contact, we interpret that in a, a special yes, way. Yes, exactly, in a special way. I mean, we have we have uh, we have a minor here, so I'm not going to get go into any more. Jason, I believe they're the kind of movies that these days you'd have to shoot in a nudist colony. Oh yes, uh, yes, and well, Barbarella clothes are strictly optional. By the way, I want to does wear uh, she does wear a spacesuit. And I want to well, answer uh, Jean-Paul's question real quick, but uh, to Ethan Marcus's point, um, I, I don't want to um, denigrate these shows that clearly are popular with young people and aimed at young people. For example, uh, this young fellow whose name also happens to be Ethan Marcus, um, I'm sure he would be an avid fan of these shows that we're all talking about, um, and I hope he enjoys them all. Um, I wouldn't recommend, say, uh, I understand the show Star Trek has been picked up by NBC and will start in September, but that's probably going to be a grown-up show, unless it's anything like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, in which case, Ethan, I think it's okay for you to watch it. Um, so, Jason, you're probably the one to answer this better than me, because right now I would say no. Are there any science fiction authors of note writing science fiction comics in America? The answer is sort of yes, uh, but they are classic science fiction authors. So Julius Schwartz, who edits The Flash, Green Lantern, and The Atom, among other titles at DC Comics, is a longtime editor and also a talent agent uh, for science fiction authors. Um, among others, uh, he worked with Ray, Ray Bradbury back in the 1940s and 1950s. And he has a stable of writers who were involved in the classic age of science fiction, who are still writing comics today. Uh, Franz Heron is one. Um, I'm trying to think of the author. Uh, the John Broom is another. Who are uh, And there's also uh, a couple of writers for the Superman titles, Edmund Hamilton being one, who are very active in science fiction in the 30s and 40s, but have moved to comics since then. In terms of people who are actively writing in science fiction today, Folks like, I don't know, Philip Jose Farmer or Harlan Ellison, um, they are not writing comics. And I think they've chosen to work in, uh, completely in prose rather than in comics medium. Or screenwriting. So I can, I can imagine there being a thrilling story in Strange Tales written by Cord Wainer Bird. I can, I can thoroughly imagine that. But yes. Wasn't, um, wasn't there a rumor that Harlan Ellison was writing a Star Trek episode? Oh, I wouldn't know. I don't. I, I believe they are soliciting authors, but I, I don't know if they've solicited him yet. Believe me, we will know very soon if he was picked because he will then start calling every single Worldcon committee person saying, be sure there's a dramatic presentation category <laughs> for this year's Hugo's. Uh, all right. Uh, I'd like to open it up to questions from everybody. Uh, John Paul had a great one. So if you others have some great questions. Oh, uh, so Juan San Miguel is talking about Cordwainer Smith. So you have to understand, Cordwainer Smith and Cordwainer Bird are completely different people. Cordwainer Smith is one of the finest 
science fiction authors ever. And Cordwainer Bird is the name that Harlan Ellison uses when someone so butchers one of his scripts that he refuses to have his name attached to it. And I believe we first saw it um, in an episode of uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea when the sea view is attacked by Plankton. But the first appearance of Cordwainer Bird, um, Lorelei actually saw it. It was on a uh, Burke's Law episode that Harlan Ellison wrote, and it was a character played by Sammy Davis Jr. Um, so, so yeah, Cordwainer Bird, those of us in the know, know that's really Harlan Ellison making bird droppings on his wrecked up scripts. One thing I just have to bring up from that is there is also a Burke's Law comic book strip, weirdly, in Century 21, which doesn't mean anything else. But they just have, let's go back in time to Burke's Law. And it's wonderfully drawn, wonderfully fun. And at the end of every story, they just have Amos turn to the camera and go, and that's Burke's Law. <laughs> it's marvelously silly. That sounds wonderful. And given that Burke's Law has been replaced by the execrable uh, Burke's Law, uh, Amos Burke's Secret Agent, which I believe has already been canceled, like Shindig, um, but not replaced with a comic book show like Batman, um, I, I need to read these comics because I suspect that's the only way I'm going to get my Amos Tim fix. Uh, Amos and Tim. I, I don't want to suggest anything. This is 1966 and we're very conservative, straight emphasis on straight lace society, especially here in California. Did you know that Ronald Reagan is running for governor of California? There's there's no way he's going to be Governor Brown, but but I just I. He, 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 he threw his hat in the ring in San Diego. I'm so embarrassed for our fair city. And the only thing that embarrasses me more is the fact that we are represented by Congressman James B. Utt. And I'm 12, so I, I will point out that, yes, his name is spelled B-U-T-T. -T. Anyway, um, what have we got for questions? A lot of discussion of Harlan Ellison, I see. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Chris, it is asked, are there a lot of pretty women in the Burke's Law comic strip? Surprisingly not. It's actually, it's a pretty much, uh, it's pretty much a men's club most of the strip. So let me just, I can share my, if I can share my screen of uh, one half of an issue there. Uh, you can see on the left-hand side the end of one part of the first part of a Burke's Law strip. As you can see, no women really available. Les looks exactly like he does in the show. Yes. They must, yeah, have, actually, they must have got the rights to be some cool. faithful drawing here. Yes. Indeed. Juan San Miguel asks how old Jerry Brown is. I believe he's talking about the son of our governor, Pat Brown. Uh, I think he's in, in law school, so he's somewhere in his 20s. Uh, he was born in, like, 1938, I want to say. I, I don't know why we would be so fantastically interested in our governor's <laughs> children. Children should be left out of politics. It's not like Pat Brown is going to start any kind of gubernatorial dynasty. That would be like Senator Bush from Texas's kids entering politics. Or Senator Al Gore's kid. On the other hand, stranger things have happened. In fact, uh, we had cross-party Roosevelt, so you never know. All right, what do we got for questions?
Well, while we're waiting for the I have next a question for you, Cora. Uh, what country do you think is producing the most interesting comics these days? If I was to spend money to get some books imported to the United States, well, what should I look for? Um, actually, I think Belgium is a it's a tiny country, but um, they have the best comics because um, a lot of the French, uh, a lot of the comics that people usually mistake for French, like Tintin, which I think you do get Tintin, do you in the U.S. Um, he's been going, it's a bell, it's a adventures of a young reporter and his friends, um, friends and has been going since the uh, 1940s. No, it's, no, sorry, it's older. Tintin is, has been going since 1929 and then, um, restarted after World War II and has his own magazine. And, um, Belgium has a great variety of, of comics and some really, really amazing artists, uh, artists and, um, you have everything from humor strips, um, like, um, well, um, Luck Luke is brilliant, for example, it's a Western humor strip. Um, and you've got um, straight adventure strips like Blake and Mortimer, which are the adventures of, um, of uh, well, a British, um, British secret agent and his professor friend. And they have some very science fictional adventures, a little bit like the Bond movies, but um, not so many ladies and so on, because uh, the Belgian comics are a bit prudish because it's a very Catholic country. So, well, a little few ladies. And then there's, um, there's nice things for children, like um, something called uh, Les Strumpfs or the, the Smurfen, or in Germany we call them Die Schlümpfe. Schlümpfe, I think the English title would be The Smurfs about some little blue gnomes living in the forest. And yeah, they do some really great work. But there's also great work coming out of France. They, um, the French were a bit, uh, they were importing the Belgium comics for a while, but now they've started up their own and they've done great comics, something like Asterix, which is a hilarious humor comic, which is, a, well, you know, Perfect in the Grey Mauser. Um, imagine them being Gaulish warriors uh, living at the time of the Roman Empire and resisting against Roman occupation. And, well, um, and... Uh, Everything was full of um, satirical political allusions to contemporary French poli politics, and it's uh, brilliantly drawn by um, well, Albert Uderzo is the artist, René Goscinny is a is a writer, and uh, they're really really well made. There's also a straight one, another one about the Gaulish Roman, which is a big deal in in France still so that the Roman Empire conquered and. Um, and occupied them. So yeah, there's another one about a Gaulish character in the Roman Empire, Alix, which is straightly done. And yes. Cora, also, Cora can you say, uh, it was an asterisk that's the uh, Fawford and Grey Mauser comic? <laughs> it's uh, Asterix. Yeah. Um, Asterix. I don't know if it's in the, in the US yet. It is in Germany, but in really bad translation. I'll put the name in the... Yeah. Well, and it's I understand the French so, launched their first satellite named it after Asterix, which is cute. Yeah, well, he's hugely, hugely popular, Asterix, especially in France. And um, I really like, enjoy them. I really enjoy them as well. But yes, um, yes the, the German translations are terrible. Terrible. Uh, saying, uh, yes, I hope they get better ones. I was going to say, in Britain, they have translated them, but they've, they're transposed to Britain, so it's called Britain's Never Never Shall Be Slaves, and it's set in Britain. What they're just they're doing is they've done it, it's, I, you probably don't know about this, but in Britain there's this very popular uh, cartoon series that's called The Magic Roundabout, where basically they took a French cartoon 
but then didn't know any Fremont. So they basically just made up whatever was happening. <laughs> and it's really popular. And that's kind of what they've done with asterisks as well. But it's a lot of fun and very silly, and it has loads of meta jokes. So at one point, someone says, as, um, the spot line of it is that the druid in it gets knocked unconscious and can't remember who anyone is. And then he sees the very uh, the uh, very rotund uh, member of the thing and says, "Oh, you look like a balloon." And then he says, "And then he says, you can't say that balloons haven't been invented yet.'" <laughs> and that's the kind of humour they have going throughout of it. That's incredibly silly, incredibly meta. At several points, they're actually saying, "If you keep blowing stuff up, you're going to destroy the comic book." Yes. But well, that's the kind of humour they have in it. <laughs> Yes, the German the German translation of Asterix, which was done by this Rolf Kauka Fellows um, publishing house, which I mentioned earlier, they also they transferred it to Germany because um, I mean uh, Germany, Britain, France, we all have um, experience. There are a lot of experience because it happened almost two thousand years ago with Roman occupation, but the Romans are still not all that popular. So suddenly they are Germanic uh, warriors uh, resisting against Rome. Of course, also, um, well, let's just say, um, say uh, the Germanic warriors did kick the Romans out of part of what is now Germany. They kicked them back to the south. And uh, the problem is that the humor they translated, they included some um, some political allusions to contemporary West German politics, um, which was, well, not very funny. And then they included some anti-Semitic jokes, which were not funny at all. And uh, actually, there's a lawsuit going on because um, the French publisher doesn't want those German translations to exist. And apparently we're supposed to get better and more faithful translations, which I'm hoping for. But yes, Asterix is, it's hilarious. Uh, we, have, really we, have, we have historical comics in the United States too, but since we have only one period of history, they're all Westerns. Yeah, we uh, have Westerns too. Oh, and uh, the, the, there's a really great Western. Well, there's Lucky Luke's a funny Western and there's a great Western coming out of um, France right now, drawn by, drawn by a really brilliant young cartoonist called Jean Giraud. I think he's not quite 30 yet. He sometimes also goes by the name Möbius when he does humor strips for, um, for a satirical magazine. But um, as Jean Giraud, he draws a comic which is, used to be called Fort uh, Navajo, but nowadays it's, um, it's um, called Lieutenant Blueberry because he's a hero and yes, it's if you've seen those uh, Western movies with uh, Clint Eastwood, the Italian ones, this is a comic strip equivalent. And yes, it's great. Uh, there's been a couple of questions about uh, East German comic demand. So does, is there a black market of comics funneling into uh, East Germany? Do you know? Um, well, uh, the problem is, of course, you have to, there was, there is a sort of black market because um, People, of course, cross the border and sometimes they bring comics um, to read for children of their friends. And part of the reason why this East German mosaic comic was started is because the East German kids were reading reading those Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck comics imported from West Berlin and from the West. And, uh, of course, they should rather learn some wholesome socialist values. And mosaic is actually the only good East German comics. There's a couple of other strips in things like Die Trommel, the drum, the official magazine of the young pioneers of East Germany, who have great comics with absolutely thrilling plots about socialist heroes, things like the girl from the Soviet war memorial, 
which is um, you can see it reprinted in full in my article and yeah don't bother it's just pretty awful but uh, the Digi but this Digiduck comic in Mosaic is the only good one and actually that one is sort of a black market good in East Germany because um, because they don't have a lot of paper and papers allocated and of course things like this boring young pioneer magazine are really really important and they get a lot of paper even though no one wants to read that stuff and so mosaic doesn't have that much paper allotment and um, so well you have to know someone who works at the newsstand to get an issue or um, if you're west german you can get an issue if you bring in some western comics for them to enjoy enjoy and then they maybe give you one of their mosaics collection in return that's how I came by a few issues of that. And it's it's really nicely made. I wish that it had a higher circulation. I wanted to, uh, as we're, we're running close to the end of the show, so uh, we will, just so everyone knows, you can visit us after the show, and I hope you will, um, at uh, Portal 55, where we can continue to talk about comics. But I wanted to leave off on the X-Men. And the reason why I wanted to leave off on the X-Men is we have a new writer in our midst, Dana Pelabon. Um, and she is a she is new to fandom, um, but one of the one of her gateways has been the X Men comic books, and she wanted to hear more about this. This is the latest issue, uh, starring a new villain called the Mimic. And you'll notice that the good guys are always in primary colors, and the bad guys are always in secondary colors, just so you can tell who they are. Um, the X-Men is really interesting to me. It is my favorite comic book. And in just three years, it has probably done every single cliche known known to comics. Uh, it, it is a microcosm of Marvel in one place. We've seen several inconsistencies. We've seen characters come and go. We've seen uh, artists come in and out. Um, and it's just fascinating. For instance, in the first couple of issues, they have a... By the way, for those who don't know, X-Men is the... is. Um, sort of like an evolution of the Fantastic Four, except they're a bunch of mutant kids um, led by a, uh, a wheelchair-riding uh, Professor X with telepathy, sort of like uh, the Marvel version of the Doom Patrol. In fact, they're very similar. Um, but the X-Men is great because you get sort of the, the strife of the Fantastic Four, but with the teenage relevance of Spider-Man. So I think it's a strip that would really appeal, say, to Lorelei. Um, and they also are starting to do some interesting social commentary with mutant superheroes not being very much liked by the normal people of the population. In fact, we've already seen calls for their extermination um, by uh, a man named Bolivar Trask. Um, but but X-Men has evolved so much in just a short time. So there was a character named Beast who has great dexterity. Um, in the first two issues, he is sort of a, a thuggish character. And all of a sudden, issue three He's incredibly erudite, and they have this be almost beauty in the beast, except in the same person. In the third issue, they have a bit of an implication that Professor X has a crush on the newest X-Men, Jean Grey. They have thankfully dropped that very quickly, and now there's just very awkward, introverted hedgehog love between Scott and uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, who never seem to get it together. Um, they have a, a villain named Magneto. They... A bunch of uh, of the people, the fans, wrote in and said, "Please get rid of this annoying character who sounds like 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 Hitler, except he's opposite." Um, and so, an alien came down, took him away, never to be seen again. Except he came back three issues later. So, I, I guess you really just can't leave anyone dead forever. Has anyone else read the X Men? What do you think? It is part of my normal reading routine. 
and the first issues by Stanley and Jack Kirby are just amazing to me. Uh, I love the the way Kirby and Ditko bring in, or Kirby and Lee, excuse me, bring in uh, Magneto in the first issue. He's such a powerful villain. Um, the, the soap opera-based storylines between the characters is wonderful. They bring in then a bunch of other great villains as well. The Vanisher, Eunice the Untouchable, The Blob. It feels like the comic is going to like thrive. And then about issue 10 or so, Jack Kirby leaves. And since then, we had a number of rotating artists who seem to try and mimic Jack Kirby. There's an issue that's drawn by Alex Toth, who is usually wonderful. But there was just this tremendous conflict between him and Kirby. And there's a new artist who's joined the book. He goes by Jake Gavin in, in the book, but based on the work I've seen, it's actually by a man named Werner Roth. And Roth is about as far from Kirby as you can get. His art is very kind of static, a little blah. I really feel like if he stays with the book for a while, might lose some of his popularity. Um, I think it's ironic that we have uh, uh, people joining us from other countries because to me, the, the cool idea with X-Men would be to bring in characters from other countries, um, maybe like a circus performer from Germany, for example, as one of the characters, or maybe like uh, uh, some character from Canada to kind of give it an international feel and um, some energy to it, because right now the book is feeling like it's a little static. I uh, have really been appreciating the art of Steve Ditko on Spider-Man. And the only person I think who really captures that sort of organic look would maybe be John Romita on Daredevil. In fact, there, there are scenes where Daredevil is flying around on his cane, and I would have sworn it was Steve Ditko drawing Spider-Man. Am I the only one who sees the, the resemblance here? I, I think if anyone could take the, over the pen from Steve Ditko, it would be Romita. I see a lot of Ditko influence on Romita. Again, I want to mention uh, if you're a fan of Kirby, or excuse me, a fan of Steve Ditko, uh, try his Captain Adam book from Charlton as well. It is drawn equally as delightfully and equally as wonderfully. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of Ditko on Doctor Strange, which is just wrapping up an enormous year-long saga, which has just been incredible because it's spanning the entire netherverse of the cosmology of these characters, uh, the climactical. Uh, confrontation with destiny who's the universe in the body of one giant being is just mind-boggling is, uh, is this is this in strange tales this is in strange tales which does, does he get the whole book or did he still split it in half oddly the first half of the book features um, agent of shield which is marvel's takeoff on man from uncle slash james bond starring nick fury um so it's the strangest comic because it has a the uh, techno wizardry of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then the mystic mastery of Doctor Strange. I have to say, uh, uh, Fury and his Howling Commandos is, is one of the comics that I maintain uh, a monthly subscription to as well. It's a delight, isn't it? I, I like it. It's, uh, it, is, it is less serious than Sergeant Rock, and that, that is probably its virtue. We are now past the hour. So those of you who want to keep talking about comics, please join us in Portal 55. I know we all had more to say, and that's always how it is on the Journey Show. I hope everyone had a great time. We still have no idea what the next show is going to be about, but it will be on March 6th, the first Saturday in March. Uh, it may star Ethan Marcus. It may star Jonathan Reen and, and Professor Elliot. It may star Kay. We really have no idea. We are winging it, and that's part of the fun at the Journey Show. So thank you very much for coming today. 
And uh, we'll see you all at the portal.